where can you find comfort? Where can you find comfort? When I think about comfort, I think about these blankets that my, my kids carry around with them. They carry these blankets with them, and it makes them feel comfortable. They carry them with them everywhere. Um, and when I think about comfort, I think about like the, but I think about like a campfire, how the fire keeps you warm and safe. That's what I think about when I think about comfort. Uh, the thing about these things, the blanket or the campfire, is that they don't last forever. The blanket that my kids use, they'll eventually unravel. Uh, the fire will eventually burn out. So if we're honest with ourselves, I think we're all looking for some type of comfort in this life. Um, it's hard for us to imagine that, though, because we live such comfortable lives. I mean, there's a hurricane storm going on outside, and we're just sitting here comfortably. Uh, but imagine for me, okay, if you take away the power of your phone and your followers and your friends, if you take away your material possessions and money, if you take away your good grades, and if you took away your health or your home, I would imagine that you would be uncomfortable. And the truth is that all of the comforts that we find in this world, they will not last forever. We cannot take these comforts with us when we go to meet with God. God wants to be our only comfort in this life as well as in the next. Next slide, please. In our passage, God's people were in exile. They were away from their home. They were taken away from their home. This was during the Babylonian captivity, and they were begging for comfort. God doesn't give them a blanket or a campfire but he keeps them warm with his words. Isaiah 55 is directly tied to Isaiah 53 and 54. In Isaiah 53, we see the suffering servant, and we see that his suffering is the work of redemption. His suffering is what saves God's people. In Isaiah 54, we see that God's people are not just ethnic Israel, but all the nations. God wants all the nations to come and to know him. And that leads us to our passage today in Isaiah 55. Next slide, please. This is our sermon preview. Isaiah 55 is the message that God gives to the nations. It's the literal word that God is going to speak to the nations. This is the word that God gave to his people to remind them of his compassion and kindness during their captivity. In our sermon today, we're going to see three Glorious comforts from the wonderful word of God. First is the invitation. Second is restoration. And third is expectation. You can go ahead and write those down now. And as we go through them, you can make note of more details and other Bible verses that I'll give you. Um, if they stand out to you or something that's encouraging to you, feel free to write it down. After our three points, I will present to you the gospel. I will give you the big idea. And then we will end with our conclusion. My goal is for you to see God, that you will go to him for your comfort, and that you will see his glory in his wonderful son, Jesus Christ. 
Let's get started. Next slide, please. The first way the word comforts us is with an invitation. The word invites you to come to God. Next slide, and let's read this together. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The first and dominant word in this verse is come. You can't miss it. It's a call to go, to walk towards, to get near to God. Notice who is called to come, everyone who thirsts. Jesus made the same invitation in John 7:37 when he said, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." Now, he wasn't talking about a physical thirst, but he was talking about a spiritual thirst. When you thirst, you're saying that you need something. You're saying what you need. Some say they're thirsty for attention or they're thirsty for love. Well, the Bible uses the word thirst to describe a spiritual longing for the Lord. It's a spiritual seeking for satisfaction. There's a sense of urgency in the invitation. Your soul is starving and thirsting in the desert. You are going to die, and God is offering you free food and water. Uh, we see in the text that only God can satisfy our souls. He is good, and he wants us to delight ourselves in him. God is where true life is found. Now, this message was meant for the Israelite exiles, but the invitation extends to us today and to those who feel far away from God. Come to him and live. Our passage tells you to listen and to incline your ear to come to God and hear him so that your thirsty, starving soul may live. Did you catch that? Listening to God is how you live. And this is what God says. He has made an everlasting covenant by his steadfast and sure love for David the king. This covenant that he's talking about, this covenant blessing continues, and it climaxes with Jesus, a witness to God and a leader and commander of God's people. He calls and invites the nations to come to him and to partake in God's glory and to be with his people. You see, when you truly listen to God, you're going to hear him talk about Jesus. He won't stop talking about Jesus, his son. So, next slide, please. Will you come and listen to the Lord? Coming to him, coming to God means listening to him, and listening to him is how you live. You come, you listen, and you live. The text ties listening with living so much. It's as if to say, if you will listen, then you will eat and live, or listen in order to eat and live. It's very important. Don't get distracted from listening to the Lord. Uh, the Bible, the Bible tells us this story about two sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha. One of them, Mary, she invited Jesus to their home. Actually, I think both of them might have invited Jesus to their home. And Mary, Mary said yes to Jesus. She sat as, at his feet as he was teaching and she was fellowshipping with him. But Martha her sister, Martha, went away from the Lord. She distracted herself with many things. Whether it was cleaning the house or preparing for the rest of her guests, she was just distracted. If you go back and read that story, you'll see that word. It's very clear. It says, 
Martha was distracted with many things. Um, I think that this story does have a point, and it relates to us today. We distract ourselves with many things. Think about this. You invite Jesus as a Christian into your heart, and instead of listening to him, we distract ourselves. We, we, we go off and we choose not to listen to him. Whether it's with our phones or even with our friends or our family or even with good things like school and exercise um, or just kind of hanging out with friends, we find any way to distract ourselves from truly listening to God. God is telling us right now, don't distract yourselves from listening to me. If you're a Christian, if you are a child of God, you must come and listen to your heavenly Father. Make it a priority to come and listen to God. Uh, when you eliminate distractions, think about how efficient you'll be, not just in terms of your spiritual life, but with your entire life in general, right? So let's pretend you eliminate the distraction of watching Netflix or surfing the web, and all of a sudden, you find time to have your devotions. And now that you've done your devotions, you can pray, you have time to talk to God, and now that you've done that, you have more time to study and to do your homework, the things that you need to do. You have time to do chores. It, you eliminate distractions from your life. You find that 30-minute, one-hour block in your day. You'll find time to spend with God and to take care of everything that he wants you to take care of, the chores, school, homework, even your hobbies. I, I promise you, even your sleep, okay? You will find time to do that. Uh, make it a priority to come and listen to God. He needs to be the first one. In John 4, 13 to 14, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So stop searching and come to God for your ultimate satisfaction. Don't be distracted. Come Listen to him and live. The first glorious way the word comforts us is with an invitation. The word invites you to come. Come and listen so that you may live. Next slide, please. Restoration. The second way the word comforts us is with restoration. The word calls you to restore your relationship with God. Restore your relationship with God. Next slide, please, and let's read this together. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Returning, okay, so the, the, the passage is talking about returning. Returning is the language of restoration. It means to turn back. It means to come back. It means to come home. Our invitation to come is a call to repent. This is a limited opportunity. God can be found and is near to us now. Don't take him for granted. Some say that there is no way God can be good, uh, forgive, and love when the world is filled with so much evil. God says that his thoughts are not your thoughts and his ways are not your ways. 
he promises compassion and abundant pardon. Others will say, I'll deal with God when I die. And when I go to heaven, I'm going to have some questions to ask God. He's going to have to give an answer to me. That is ignorant and foolish talking. Uh, when were you when God created the world? Your lips are unclean. Repent and return to God with a humble heart. Psalm 103, 11 to 14, it says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So when you come to God in faith, admitting that we are fragile, if you humble your heart before him, God will be your strength and he will be your salvation. This offer of salvation is sealed with a promise in verses 10 to 11 of our passage today. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's ability to save us, it, it stems from his unfailing, effective word. You can count on God to keep his promises to a restored relationship if you return to him. This message was meant for the Israelite exiles, but the call extends to you today and to those who feel that you cannot be reconciled with God. If you feel far away from him and at odds with him, Restore your relationship with him today. Return to him and repent of your sins. Next slide, please. So, will you return to God and repent from your sins? When we speak about returning, remember, we're speaking about repentance. Comfort from God does not come without repentance. Repentance is more than saying sorry. Okay, let me explain this to you. Resent repentance Repentance results in real-life change. It's a holistic holiness that encompasses your entire life. And I want to highlight that our repentance to God, our repentance to God, it does affect our relationship to others. If you say sorry to God, he expects you to say sorry to others here on earth as well. And if God has forgiven you, he expects you to forgive others here on earth as well. Repentance to God and reconciliation with others here, they go hand in hand. The way of repentance goes against everything the world tells you. I understand this, especially in Asian American culture. We don't like to talk about being wrong. We don't like to admit that we're at fault. We don't like to talk about our weaknesses we don't like to challenge and confront people either about sin or even to be confronted and challenged about our own sin. We are passive, uh, but we're prideful. We are prideful people. And that element of pride is sinful when it comes to our repentance with God and our reconciliation with others. In our pride, we prevent ourselves from asking forgiveness, forgiving others, and moving forward in peace. It's funny because this word reconcile, it actually comes up in my life kind of frequently. So this is a little bit nerdy. Uh, 
This is some adulting for you, okay? Uh, my wife, she reconciles our finances, okay? So what that means is that she looks at our bills and she looks at our bank statements and she looks at where our money is going and she says, mm, we're spending a little bit too much here. Uh, we should take account of that. There are other instances where we might see a credit card charge and it's like, oh, where did, where did that come from? Uh, we, we should probably call the company and say, well, what happened there? Was that a, a charge that shouldn't have been done? So what she's doing uh, and what we're doing with our finances is that we're monitoring them, we're keeping them in check, and as soon as something happens, we're on it right away because that's our money, right? Um, at first, I thought that this was a waste of time. I was like, dude, it's all on credit card. Like, don't worry about it. The bank will figure it out and sort itself out. But just imagine, you let something slip through the cracks. Eventually, those things start adding up. It just keeps piling on. Uh, and also, just the fact that we're able to monitor our finances, it helps us spend better. It helps us save money, actually, because we're able to see where it's going. Uh, we're, 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 we're working towards better financial health. Now, follow me here. In the same way, I think that we need to do a reconciliation with our relationships. Okay, now, now hear me out on this. I think that it would do us good as Christians if we audit our relationships that we have with God and with others. The first thing or the first time you sense some sort of guilt or shame or sin that you committed, yeah, maybe that's there to say, hey, uh, maybe we should take a look at this sin and maybe we should uh, figure out what we need to change there so we can save our spiritual health. Um, think about this. Maybe you're looking at your relationships and you say, hey, um, something's not right here with the relationship that I have with my mom and dad or something's not right here with the relationship that I have with my brother and sister, or, hey, um, something happened between me and my friend. I should probably go check that out and work on that. You see, most of the time, we would rather just ignore it. We would rather just forget about it. But those things will add up over time. The relationship with your parents, the relationship with your brothers and sisters, the relationship with your friends, they will be strained, and they will become broken. The Christian, one who follows Jesus Christ, is meant to be the first one to say, hey, did, if I did something wrong, then I'm sorry, okay? Or, hey, um, what you did here, it really hurt me. Can we talk about this? You see, like Jesus Christ, he extends reconciliation to us, and so we need to extend reconciliation to others. So take account of your life. I think that it will save your relationships. And it will also assure you and give you confidence that your relationship with God is correct, right? Jesus said that if he forgives you, he expects you to forgive others too. Monitor your heart. Check to make sure your sin is accurate and accounted for. And when you find it, you seek forgiveness and you be quick to forgive others. Make peace with people. Don't let your pride get in the way. God is not like you and me. His thoughts are higher. His ways are greater. Jesus Christ, your creator and sustainer, your king and your savior, humbled himself on the cross. Christians, my brothers and sisters, you also must put away your pride. Look at the example of our Lord and live like him with a humble love for others. When you are able to repent and to reconcile, uh, it assures you that your relationship with God has also been restored. You confirm your calling when you live and love like Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ with your actions, and you proclaim that the way back to God is still open. 
When you do this, you witness and you live out the gospel. Imagine what would happen to your relationships if you were the first one to reach out to your parents and say, hey, I'm sorry, or to your friends, or to your brothers and sisters. The second way the word comforts us is with restoration. This is a comforting word to us because God has restored his relationship with us, and we can do the same to others. The word calls you to restore your relationship with God. Return to him and repent of your sins. Next slide, please. Expectation. The third way the word comforts is with expectation. The word exhorts you to live with a hopeful expectation from God. Let's read this together. Next slide, please. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God's word here, it paints a picture for us. It's a picture of promises fulfilled. There's joy, there's peace, there's singing, and there's clapping. Thorns and briar patches are overtaken by strong green cypress trees and beautiful myrtle flowers. God's people and all of creation are celebrating the Lord. God's name will be established forever, and his grace will never be forgotten. You don't have to doubt God's goodness. You can expect God to make things right again. You know, earlier in our passage, God said that his word will succeed. God's guaranteed success is because of his sovereignty. He has a purpose and the power to fulfill all that he has planned. And this is called God's providence. God's providence. Uh, John Piper, he defines God's providence as God's purposeful sovereignty. Okay, His purposeful sovereignty. So God is in control of all things, and he has a purpose and plan behind it. Again, God has the purpose and the power to make his plans succeed. Our hopeful expectation is kept by the fact that God is in control. Our hopeful expectation is powered by God's providence. This message was meant for the Israelite exiles, but the exhortation extends to us today and to those of you who feel weary and worn out in this world. Live for God with hopeful expectation. Next slide, please. So, will you trust Will you trust God and will you stop doubting and live for him with hopeful expectation? Will you trust and rest in God's providence? The Bible describes this expectant hope as waiting on the Lord. Okay, you might have heard that phrase before in the Bible, waiting on the Lord. So with joy and peace, you trust and you take rest in what God is going to do. You live for God with hopeful expectation. You can lift your eyes from your own concerns, lift them to the coming kingdom. You have some strength to keep going in the present. You don't fear man, and you don't fear missing out on anything in this world. You freely give of yourself and your funds in the name of Christ and his kingdom. You don't crave human praise or approval. You have aims and ambitions for the glory of God, content and secure in his love. I know that some of you finished your first week of school or maybe the second week of school this week, so maybe the excitement 
of school has already passed you by. Okay, but I, I want to say that the Christian, the Christian is always excited about school. Okay, let me explain this to you. The Christian is always excited about school because God presents every opportunity in front of you day to day with new opportunities to live for him, to share the gospel, and to experience new mercies every morning. What would it look like if you lived your life resting in the absolute sovereignty of God's providence? Think about this. God has purpose and plans for you. What does it look like for your life if you rested in that and you trusted God in everything? Let let me just take an easy one, your grades, okay? So if you really believe this, as every Christian should, that God has a plan and purpose for your life and he's in total control, you will not worry about your grades. You will not. You will not be anxious. You will not fret. Does that mean that you won't study? No. But it means that you will study in peace, knowing that you will do your best for God and that you trust him with the outcome. Okay? Think about your college. Think about your college. You're scared about college. You're anxious because, oh, I need to do all these extracurricular activities and it's up to the admissions counselors to let me in. Uh, Yeah, sort of, but at the end of the day, it's God who is in control of that. So you do your best. You do your best. You pray, and you trust God with the results. You will not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or drink or what college you will get to or what grades you will have. But you trust in God, and you rest in his promises. Let let me take another example, okay? Let's think about your friends. Let's think about your friends. What does it look like if you trusted God with your social life? I think that if you were scared about being popular or being looked upon as weird or an outsider or a loser, um, if you trusted in God's providence, yeah, you might be like a little bit concerned about it. You might want to think about how you're going to be a witness and salt and life in the earth. But at the end of the day, you trust that, hey, you know what? God has purpose for me in being with this group of people, with the people that he has placed me with in school. And so I'm going to do my best to live my life for him. I'm going to do my best. And, and you trust that God will bring Christian friends into your life, people that can spur you on to live for Jesus. That's why we come to church, right? And so that, that's how you can rest in God with your social life. You trust that God is, is organizing and purposing and planning the things that happen in your life. That doesn't mean that you just go with the flow and just say, oh, whatever happens, you know, I'm just going to say whatever. No. But it means that you're aware of what God is doing, and you pray that God's purpose and plans will succeed, and you trust and you rest in God's providence. You'll be able to tear down the idol of success and rest in his sovereignty. You will lay down envy and jealousy and find joy in God and his goodness. Um, You will stop comparing yourself with others, and you will trust that God is in total control and that he loves you and that he knows what is best for you. I'm not saying to be fake. I'm not saying that school be simple. You can count on difficulty, trials, and even persecution. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 8-10, that we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Even in your personal life, when you experience physical pain, relational strain, or emotional heartbreaks, Christians have hope because of Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 says that you are to honor the Christ as Lord, holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Um, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, you can hope and expect that God will love and take care of his children, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.7. Think about that. When you live like this with purposeful sovereignty, people will ask, why do you have this hope in, in you? Why, why are you so joyful all the time? Why aren't you stressed about this text? Aren't you concerned about your future? Yes, but you trust in God, and you have an opportunity to share the gospel. The third way that the word comforts is with expectation. The word exhorts you to live with a hopeful expectation from God. Trust and rest in his providence. I've gone through our three points, okay? But there's so much more that you need to see. Listen closely and carefully as this is the most important part of our sermon today. I bring you both bad news and good news. The bad news is that God's words of comfort are not for everyone. Meaning, they are not accepted by everyone. Yes, they are offered to everyone, but not everyone accepts God's word. So you, here today, you must respond. If you reject this message of comfort, what waits for you is the bitter cold of being cast out from God's presence and the fiery furnace of his judgment and wrath. But the good news is that if you admit your sins, if you believe that your sins have separated you from God, all the bad things that you do, if you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, saves you with his death and life on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, and if you confess him as the king over your life, then you will be saved. God's comfort will come to you free of charge. You will be adopted into his family where faith and hope and love abound. The gospel message is God's word to you today. Jesus is the culmination and realization of God's comfort. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered the grave. Satan, sin, and death are defeated. Our passage spoke of God's everlasting covenant to King David, and the book of Revelation relates it to Jesus. Look at this. Can we read this together? Next slide, please. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you see that Jesus here, he is the one that comforts God's people. He has conquered and he reigns supreme. The scroll and the seven seals, they represent God's judgment of the wicked and justice for the wronged. Jesus is declared worthy to deliver us. He is the king who has come to reign forever, offering rest and comfort to God's children. His conquering of sin, Satan, and death is our ultimate comfort. Jesus Christ is the comfort of God. He is glorious and he is wonderful. Now, if you are already a Christian, your mission is to share Jesus Christ, the comfort of God, with others. Look at this. This is incredible. Next slide, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Christian, will you share the comfort of Jesus Christ with others? Next slide, please. We saw three glorious comforts from the wonderful word of God. The first way the word comforts is with an invitation. The word invites you to come to God. So will you come and listen so that you may live? Next, the second way the word comforts us is with restoration. The word calls you to restore your relationship with God. So will you return to him 
and repent of your sins. Finally, the third way that the word comforts us is with expectation. The word exhorts you to live with a hopeful expectation from God. So, will you trust and will you rest in his providence? Here's our big idea. Next slide, please. The word comforts God's people with an invitation to come, a call to a restored relationship, and an exhortation to live with hopeful expectation. The word comforts God's people with an invitation to come, a call to a restored relationship, and an exhortation to live with hopeful expectation. Let's go back to the beginning again for our conclusion. I asked you, where can you find comfort? Where can you find comfort? Blankets and campfires, power and possessions, none of this will last forever. All will fail you in the end. God gives us words of comfort that will never waste away. Just like Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands and lasts forever. In the Bible, the word of God is actually another name for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So I titled our sermon, Three Glorious Comforts from the Wonderful Word of God. But another way, another way we could title this sermon, and the way that I want you to see this today, is to say that they are three glorious comforts from the wonderful Son of God. He invites you to come. He calls you to restore your relationship with God. And he exhorts you to live with hopeful expectation. God's word has gone out into the world, and it will not return empty. Jesus will bring all who believe back to God. Your exile will end. You will spend eternity in the promised land with the Lord. If you are able to see this, you are blessed, and you have seen his glory. Next slide, please. Look at this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is marvelous and wonderful. Jesus is the blanket that will never unravel. Jesus is the campfire that will never burn out. As you are wrapped with his warm and wonderful words, and as you bask in the beautiful blazing light of his glory. May Jesus Christ be your comfort. Let's pray. This is a prayer poem that I wrote for you here today in our youth service at FCBC Walnut. I titled it, God, You Are My Comfort. Pray with me, please. Like water in the desert with streams that overflow, God, you are my comfort. You satisfy my soul. Like fire for the winter, with light to pierce the dark, God, you are my comfort. You warm my weary heart. Like shelter in the thunder, with shielding from the rain, God, you are my comfort. You cover sin and shame. Like bread for all who hunger, with words to taste and see, God, you are my comfort. You fill with joy and peace.